virgin all the way. Oh, and it's a beautiful goal! What a Glaciers want to take over English football. They want to charge £15 a game as well for Leicester against Villa on the telly. Preview of that game and a lot more on For Fox Sake. Hello and welcome to For Fox Sake, the 150th episode over five years. Well, I've got no party poppers, Rob. I've got no, I've got a little bit of beer, but none to hand. Um, I've got a can of Diet Coke. But because of obviously COVID and everything really that's going on, we can't have a party. We can't have a 150th party, but we can do what we do best. And that's do a podcast regarding Leicester City that we've done for so long. Well done on the 150. It's not the big celebration. You get the big celebration. You have an acknowledgement to the crowd and a few family and friends on your 50. And then when you get to the 100th the century, that's when you take the helmet off and wave your... You're back to all corners of the ground. The 150, again, is a, a polite acknowledgement. And then when we get to the big 200, that's when we really go to town and take the pads off, take the helmet off, take the gloves off and punch the air. What a magnificent achievement. Who would have thought we'd be here 150 episodes in? I still, and I know we've said this story a few times, but I still remember the first ever episode we recorded. We recorded it in a stairwell in um, some offices in Nottingham. And here we are with considerably more um, suitable equipment, uh, considerably more wrinkles. um, And if I couldn't celebrate my 30th birthday earlier this year, then we definitely are not allowed a party for the 150th episode, I'm afraid. I've got some uh, orange and pineapple squash that'll do. Oh, lovely. We should do one of those things that's going around on social media, the before and after, or this was then and this is now. It... Did we take a photo of us recording that first one in the stairwell? I'm not sure, but there will be photos of us because it wasn't. It was a similar time to when we first started working together at Leicester City, so there'll be some kind of photo of us then. The problem would be getting a photo of us now because we haven't actually physically seen each other in forever. Yes, I don't know who you are. I have no idea. And until you start talking, I was, hey, it's Rob Hayes from For Fox 8 Podcast, as everyone does, I'm sure. Just recognise me by voice and not by face. That's That's probably a good thing. I was recognised in Madrid by voice, uh, if you remember that story, walking to the ground. Um, I do. It was our Canadian friend, was it Vancouver? I'm trying to remember the guys. He's listening now anyway, and uh, there we go. Message in. I can't remember your name, unfortunately, to be honest. I couldn't remember my name at the time. It was ridiculous, the amount. But it was, um, it was fantastic, that uh, that trip to Madrid. But uh, the, the person recognised my na- uh, my voice. So it's Pete Selby from Fox 8 Podcast. There we go. Uh, obviously talking garbage. But um, anyway, what's been going on? Well, when we said in the previous episode that we're going to do one before the Villa match and there will be team news and there will be injury news and we can uh, talk about how we're going to approach the game against Villa... Uh, talk about Villa as well. Now, that's all going to happen. 
But there's been so much happening since the last game that's kind of non-directly Leicester-related, but at the same time, kind of Leicester is still at the forefront of everything, on the good side. Um, very Star Wars-esque. I was talking today about it, and someone came up with the Star Wars analogy. Like, you know, like Leicester are kind of like the the rebels, the good guys, sticking up for good against, you know, the, the, the Death Star and the Empire and and that sort of thing. And I, I quite like that. It's, it's kind of stuck with me all day. Um, now... You know as well as I do, Rob, that I'm going to go mad about one or two of these things. Uh, namely, Project Big Picture and also the new uh, Saving the Beautiful Game. Breaking news, if you don't know what that's about. I don't Because obviously you've had a very busy day. I've, I've been at work this morning, but I've just heard about this new Saving the Beautiful Game independent body headed by Gary Neville along with a few other people. And, um, and then we also have the pay-per-view issue which Leicester basically do a two-footed challenge on straight away with their game against Villa at the weekend so where do you want to start Rob? Uh, Good question Um, shall we get Project Big Picture out of the way because it kind of reared its head for all of 48 hours and then has been fairly swiftly shoved back under the surface with the Premier League clubs basically saying now we'll sort ourselves out thank you Um, and it not really being thing but um in in sort of to to generally sum it sum it up it was uh, a package that would that would shift the structure of the league uh, of the football league the top four divisions 18 teams in the prem instead of 20 west ham were very vocal in their uh, in their not wanting to be only 18 teams in the premier league probably because they usually finish just above the relegation zone um and then just a sort of simpler and uh, and more favourable um, feeding down of the funds from the Premier League into the Football League was essentially the the key points of it. It was interesting that it was brought up by Liverpool and Manchester United's owners rather than um, rather than anybody else. It's almost like they wouldn't care how many teams there were in the bottom half of the Premier League because they're highly unlikely to ever be there. But that one seems to have come up, had a bit of a talk about and. And gone away a little bit. It has. And if people who are listening to the podcast go, oh, no, I'm not going to be talking about the structure of English football meetings and things that more than likely are not going to take place. All I care about is the football and going, well, this really does affect everyone. It's the biggest thing if it was going to go through. And it still might go through in some way, shape or form for the best part of 30 years. Talking about football governance isn't sexy. It's not what you talk about down the pub. But... This is a, a huge, what I see is a power grab from the big six, namely being the owners of Liverpool and Manchester United and also in collaboration with the EFL chairman, Rick Parry as well. And they had this emergency meeting at the time recording yesterday on Wednesday and it was rejected by all the shareholders being very vocal there, Susan Whelan at Leicester and, and a few others. I think the Everton um, CEO, again, was was very, very uh, damning on the fact that the two people who generally were bringing this to the fore weren't even in the meeting. They weren't on the Zoom meeting. John Henry of Liverpool and Joel Glazier of Manchester United, they didn't even bother to appear. And they ended up voting against their own proposal. It shows you how much of disapproval it got from Premier League clubs. But but you're right. It's The whole point was it's about 
them having control on the future of the Premier League. Now, there were many, many, many good things that were tabled. And they were tabled mainly because hardly any of them had any effect on any of the big sides in the Premier League. You, you got stuff like £250 million to cover uh, EFL clubs' losses immediately. So if clubs go into the wall as we speak, would all of a sudden have this safety fund. Fantastic. Um, other things like... Uh, money being filtered down to grassroots football. Fantastic, that's what we want. Football charities being given money and being given an awful lot of money. Fantastic. Uh, annual payments for ground upkeeps. And that's throughout the Football League. So £2 million a year in the Championship, 750 grand league uh, for League 1 and 500 grand for League 2. Imagine what a, a club in League 2 being given £500,000 a year just for their ground could do to change the facilities to add a training ground to better lay the turf under soil heating really good ideas obviously at the same time a little backhander to english premier league clubs as well if they've had work done they could claim 50 percent if they've had work done uh, in the last few years if they've been uh, in the last 12 of 15 premier league seasons looking at you tottenham for example they with their new ground and man city with their addition to the etihad behind the goal where the away fans are they could claim money back of what they had done so it sounds brilliant but there's all these little kind of backhanders still to the premier league there's loads of good things here the one things the one thing that got me uh quite alarmed was the league cup being taken out and also the community shield because straight away, that for me looks like we want a longer summer. And guess what we want a longer summer for? It's not to rest players. It's not for international football. It's to have longer pre-season tours. That's what it's about. There's always something in the background. Um, and then the other one was the money from the Premier League, from the broadcasts. That's will be now negotiated by the football, uh, the Premier League clubs and it won't be uh, given out equally per club and then once it's being given out equally per club, if any additional fixtures, that's when you get additional money, etc, etc. So at the moment, it's relatively even. It will be 50% across the board even and then the rest of it will be coming uh, to you depending on where you finish. Again, a bigger slice of the pie and the TV revenue is just going up and up and up and who knows what it could be next time around. But the big thing is, it's the votes. One club, one vote. It's what it's been since the Premier League was formed. They don't want that. What they want is um, the big nine, as they call it. So they include the likes of, say, Everton and West Ham and um, Southampton involved in that. Not Leicester, not Leicester at all. And out of those nine clubs six will get the deciding vote. So they need six of the nine. And guess who the big six are? Obviously, it's the big six. And that basically means anything further to do with English football, pretty much, will be decided by the top six clubs. It's a complete farce. The, the um, five substitutes that was tabled by the big clubs this summer and rejected by the Premier League, well, that would have just gone through because they wanted it. You can't just hand over the keys to English football, to the big six. It's a power grab that's been wrapped up in some really fancy, good ideas and nice wrapping paper. But after a couple of years, it will just turn into chaos. And it's it's a really bad thing. It's a big thing as well. It's a, a huge thing that 
thankfully has gone to the wall now but hopefully that'll come out of it is all the good points because the big point to come out of this is the money's already there if they can do all these things if they can put into place all these good ideas just do that why not if the money's there do the good things don't be power hungry and power mad because i tell you what John Henry and Joe Glazier, they do not give a stuff about another Berry going to the wall or a Macclesfield at all. They don't care about that. They're only giving those little sweeteners just so they get controls on football. And that's kind of the opposite of what the um, the beautiful game, Save the Beautiful Game group have um, sort of put forward. I did manage to have a, a, a quick look at it and it's you know they are probably trying to go the the sensible way about it in in the sense of they yeah it looks a little bit like they're shooting down the fa and and they kind of are in some ways but they're also saying let us do some of the reforms give us the legislation give us the authority to to reform football in a in a way that includes everybody, I th- and I think that's a key distinguishing factor between this and the uh, the uh, the project reformed thing, is the fact that th- this would be consulting supporters groups. It would definitely include those lower league clubs in the decision making process, and it would hopefully do what you just said in terms of pulling all the good parts out of those ideas um but with the best intentions and and with the intentions of improving the game across the board not just as you say making it even more elitist and looking like you're filtering funds down to other clubs but in reality in the long term you you're widening the financial gap further and further because the owners of Liverpool and Manchester United are not football fans, really. They're businessmen. And yes, you could argue, to, to a certain extent, all of the owners are, are businessmen. And yes, there, there does have to be some kind of financial incentive for them to be involved the majority of the time. There's very few that have got loads of money and just do it for the love of it. But there is a way to manage both sides of that and... And I think, you know, we we obviously look at things through um, blue-tinted spectacles a fair amount of the time because that's the podcast that we that we run. But Leicester City's owners seem to be very sympathetic towards the city, the, the, the people, the football club, um, football in general in, in this country. And then... Um, and then they are also able to make it a sustainable um, financial investment. Um, and they, they're, they're in it for the long haul and they, they seem to be in it for the right ideas. I think a lot of the owners are not. And for them to be in charge of a system that was promising reform is not really... Well, it is. It's ringing several alarm bells, and that's why it's sort of been kicked to touch very quickly. Um, your thoughts then, Pete, on this saving the beautiful game? David Bernstein is leading it, former FA chairman, come out and saying the FA lacks credibility and is ineffective um, and is not independent enough and not diverse enough. Um, 
Gary Neville, as you said, is involved in it. Uh, Denise Lewis and Andy Burnham have got involved, amongst others. Um, what, did, what, what do you think about it? It's got some of the good stuff in there about parachute payments, solidarity payments, salary caps. It, it looks, on paper, considering it's only really been sort of made public today, um, as if it's taking most of the good elements from Project Big Picture. First of all, would Leicester City have King Power as the owners if the uh, the project big picture went through? Probably not, because part of what the big six wanted is governance over who runs football clubs. So if Group X want to buy Leicester City, King Power come along to buy Leicester, they can say no. Who are the big six in the Premier League to turn around and, and actually decide on who owns football clubs? Now, I know you have some rotters further down the Football League and also in the Premier League at times, but that cannot happen. That's for a governing body to, to sort out. But this beautiful game malarkey, the saving the beautiful game. Now, some people might just turn around and go, well, hang on, isn't this just jumping on the back of the other, isn't this? But that's exactly what I think it is. It's Look, this big plan was put afoot and... Almost, I quite like to call it a coup of football. A, a, a coup was attempted. I don't. I've just been watching the Crown, and they're on about a coup in the sixties of trying to take control um, through getting rid of the prime minister and taking a, a coup on the country and all this sort of thing. And uh, if you've watched it, you'd understand. That's what I think's happened with this project, big picture. The the top six, especially Man U and Liverpool, they've tried to have a big coup on English football and take control. This. Has born out of it. I think it's probably been a plan anyway, and it seems exactly what you've said, Rob. They've taken all the good things and gone. Let's go ahead with the good things because if the money's there, let's do it, and we will become a independent governing body of English football. And people go, well, why do we need that? Well, Gary Neville, a very good interview. I saw him on Sky Sports News just before we started recording. And he just turns around and goes, well, the FA have been trying to reform for decades. It's not happened. They're an old um, historical structure just doesn't work with modern English football. And I think anyone who looks at the grassroots side of things probably would understand that and go, actually, yeah, it, it is a bit of a disaster. The, the whole Wembley thing, if you go back years ago, it's... It's not quite working. It is to a certain extent because the game's going ahead. But what they're trying to do is maybe kind of create a kind of an offcom, a kind of an independent regulator for English football, putting all together these good ideas in the project big picture, these really good ideas that we highlighted, all that money going down to football league clubs. The the, the whole ground thing was a really one that I really caught my eye. Uh, the salary cap, the parachute, all that sort of thing. That is all good. And I think they're going, look, Instead of having a coup on English football, we are going to be completely independent. So we want people from every walk of life, every area of football to be part of this group. And the whole idea, it's for the good of the game. So the highlights are going to be football clubs being survived, uh, not going to the wall, um, grounds being done up grassroots football a lot of money going to grassroots football for pitches in every area for floodlit facilities for um, new 3g pitches pretty much in every school that sort of thing using money created from the premier league and that's not taken out of the pocket of leicester this is money that's already there remember so it's not like we're as a football club going to be giving out loads and loads of money and it looks a really good idea because again this coup on football has 
not gone through, which is great. But again, they had a lot of good ideas as a sweetener for the really bad ideas. And those good ideas should not go to waste and they should be kept going. And it looks like they are. Now, whether they can take control of English football or not, I very much doubt it. But if they keep things going and if the fans get behind them, because it looks like fans are going to have a massive say in this and they want to adopt the German model as well by having fans uh, on every single board of clubs, etc. Maybe not the ownership side, which Germany have the 51-49 job and all that. Um, but it, it, it sounds really good. It sounds really promising. And uh, we'll see where it goes. It's interesting times, Rob, because out of adversity that we've got now with what's going on in the world in just football terms um this is where like green shoots can appear from this is where a great time to do this and it needs to be done quickly and efficiently because there will be clubs by the way things are going at the end of this season if there's no fans in the stadium still at the end of the season there's going to be not just one or two clubs gone to the wall by the end of the season there's going to be 10 15 or so so things need to happen hopefully it goes through i feel like we've done a lot of ranting and speculating in the opening 20 odd minutes of the podcast so we'll, we'll hit pause on the rants i know that there's another one coming from you pete uh in in a few minutes so hold tight everybody we're going to go into some leicester related directly leicester related chat for a few minutes we're gonna look ahead to the weekend's game uh against aston villa uh but pete you asked on social media earlier today at ffs pod on twitter is where we are most active you can find us on facebook as well for fox 8 podcast um, you basically threw out a very open forum and said, any questions you want us to talk about? Any questions? Yeah, they, first of all, this was extremely late. <laughs> this was, and um, it was only an hour ago. So there's, there's a few come through. Uh, first of all, I don't think there was really a rant there. The rant's coming. Don't worry about that. Hold on hold on to your seats wherever you are. You know, once we, once we get going, once I get going, pull over if you're in a car because uh, you won't be able to concentrate. Anyway. Um, just three questions, and they're all um, completely different, in fact, which is which is quite nice. Uh, and again, I only put it on an hour ago, so thanks. Uh, Nigel B. Cross says, uh, in your opinion, will COVID interrupt this season again? Uh, I I don't think so. I think whatever happens, they'll they've proved at the end of last season that they can get football going in one way, shape, or form in a um, in their own bubble. So I think. If there is going to be some kind of big lockdown or whatever, then I think football will carry on because they would like it to as well as give someone, you know, everyone be able to watch the games. And also they will probably go back to spreading the games out over different times, etc. Fingers crossed it doesn't get that far, but I think it will carry on. Rob? Yeah, I think I think you're right. We've got a little bit of evidence so far to suggest that football can operate in some of the strictest lockdown uh, regulations that we've had. So I think I think also that the the reason it came back m- more quickly than many other elements of our regular lives was was for morale, really. Um, and I think if the country went back into a national lockdown or if the local lockdowns became even tighter then taking football away as well i think would would make things very difficult i say i say football things like football would would make things very very difficult for people again because you know when we went through it the first time uh, nobody was really prepared for it but we didn't really kind of understand how how um difficult it would be for so many people so I think as a, 
not that football is the sole provider of national morale, but I think having that and and continuing some sense of normality in that world is is possible. I think it's also because they can so strictly isolate people, but also so strictly test people. You know, the availability and funding for testing in elite sport is, uh, especially football, is very, very high. So the likelihood of a positive um, COVID-19 patient coming into contact with lots and lots of people and, and having an impact then on the health of many, many people is very, very slim, such as the way that it's managed. So touch wood that uh, the Premier League and, and top flight football and, and professional football are are here to stay and will and will continue relatively uninterrupted. Yeah, I, I know firsthand, in fact, after uh, working last week down at Arsenal and they um, they said they were going to send through a test which arrived the next morning. In fact, it was in the evening of, of a Wednesday and the Thursday morning it arrived and by Friday, obviously I sent it off the same day and then it, on Friday they, they told me I was all right and, and could go down and work, etc. So they have the capabilities and the finance to do that. The only question would be, and the big question mark would be European competition, but who knows? We'll have to cross that hurdle if we ever um, approach it. Hopefully we don't. Uh, Simon Marlowe says, uh, do you know any plans for the anniversary of the tragedy at the King Power on the 27th of October? I don't know, but I know that there's been a few, as we approach that day, a few people have started to make murmurs on Twitter about it. I can only imagine there will be some kind of ceremony at the King Power at the Memorial Garden, and it will probably more than likely be broadcast and put out on the official club website, the official club channels, um, apart from that, I think it will be just that, along with some kind of family gig at the either King Power or um, privately. But I don't think there's going to be anything public because of obvious reasons. Basically, um, I don't know what your thoughts on Rob. I think I think they'll probably they'll obviously acknowledge it, definitely. But I think there will be um, probably something again filmed in house. Yeah, well, we were very proud, weren't we, when we um, when we spoke in the aftermath of the event. Um, about how dignified the response was from Leicester and everything that happened around it was was done very very well and tastefully as well as as, as well and as tastefully as you can deal with a, a, a tragedy like that. So I don't expect anything other than exactly the same from from Leicester. I think it will be relatively low key, partly because because of what it represents, but also partly because of the restrictions that are currently in place. But I would imagine that there will be um, there will be certain elements of it that will be shared um, remotely with supporters, because I think, as as we touched upon earlier on in the podcast, the the owners um, really do understand how important the supporters are to the football club. So I think it will be uh, accessible for all. Um, but fairly low-key and as dignified as we would expect. And the, the final question that came through, again, in the hour before we started, from Canadian Foxes. Make sure you give them a follow, LCFC underscore Canada on Twitter. On a scale of one to, this is fine, um, how are you feeling about the injury depth at centre-back? So this brings us on nicely. Thank you very much, Canadian Foxes, to the game against Aston Villa. A lovely segue. 
and the problem that we do have at centre half because Soyuncu missed Turkey's draw in Russia in the Nations League. Johnny Evans has gone and played three games in eight days for Northern Ireland and and also seems to have picked up a bit of a knock. Armati's out for what several weeks or so with his hammy, I think it was, in the previous game. So there is a bit of an issue there. And we have a brand new centre-half, £30 million signing. It looks like he's going to have to play and it looks like he's going to have to start. Who he starts alongside, whether one of Soyuncu or Evans can actually play in the game, you think that they would want to get even a 70-80% fit one of those two alongside um, our our shining new hope uh, from Saint-Étienne. Um, and Fafana will at least have some experience next to him. It could well be that Little Wes is playing alongside Big Wes. Now, in a, in a kind of passing on the baton relay kind of manner, that would be actually very nice for his debut to be playing alongside Wes Morgan. Uh, in fact, the more I think about that, the more you know you kind of look at it and go, yeah, that's great. Quite what they're going to make against a very informed Aston Villa. We'll wait and see. But uh, yeah, a bit of an issue. Um, at the moment, I don't think anyone really knows is the proper answer because if if he's playing alongside Johnny Evans, fine. I think he's going to play. I think I think they'll play Wesley Fofana because if they're playing a three at the back, then he's obviously going to play. If they're going to play in a back two, it looks like with the injuries, they're going to give him a role and then have someone alongside whoever is the least injured or um, Wes Morgan. Now, I would be happiest most if it was Johnny Evans uh, and then I would I would arguably looking at Aston Villa and the way they play and also possibly with you know, recent performance etc maybe even go for Wes and say look you know put him in and on the understanding if it's not if it's going wrong but you know if he picks up a knock because he is really is in his last year isn't he Wes Morgan then Soyuncu can come on but I'd rather have um I think Johnny Evans would be my ideal partner for uh, Wesley Fofana. Second to that, I'm probably going to go Wes. Yeah, Johnny Evans is the number one choice for me as well. It's um, it's one thing being a, a new centre-back at a new club in a new league, but it's another thing being a 19-year-old new centre-back at a new club in a new league. And the best way to go about making his lack of experience as small an issue as possible is by putting him in with somebody who is very experienced but also still able to perform at the top level. Now, Wes Morgan has a playing contract at Leicester City um, and has featured, yes, very sporadically this season, but generally he is not... He's he's there as an emergency, really, isn't he? Um, and the argument is that would an eighty percent fit Johnny Evans be more effective in a game than Wes Morgan? Probably. Um, Evans would be my choice as well. You you have got another option in um, in having Christian Fuchs playing on the left hand side of a back three to to provide the experience there. Um, as far as I'm aware, he's available. It's difficult for us as well because we're recording this on a Thursday evening um, and the pre-match press conference is likely to be tomorrow, Friday, as we speak. Um, they might be able to give us a bit more of an update there. The thing with internationals as well is that that managers will, uh, club managers will speak to international managers a lot and will 
want to know regular updates. So if there was even a, a sniff of a hint that Soyuncu's hamstring was feeling the tiniest bit tight, Brendan Rodgers would have been straight on the blower to the Turkey manager and said, don't play him. Purely because of the reason why Canadian Fox has decided to ask this question in the first place. Is the cover at centre-back looking a bit thin? Yes, it is. So protect our assets at all costs, I'm sure, will have been the thought from Leicester. So it might be a tiny bit of tightness in his hamstring in an international training session for Turkey uh, and a request to be pulled out. It might be something more serious, you don't know. But I think it is very, very likely that we're going to see Wesley Fafana at the weekend. And, you know, why not? First few games didn't seem to really need him, wasn't entirely necessary. Um, and then obviously he was on the bench for the first game that he actually was was signed for us for. Um, he's had a bit of time to get used to the fact that he's now going to be a Premier League footballer. He will have had a few training sessions with Leicester before he went off to play with uh, France under-21s. Let's chuck him in. Let's give him a go. Um, I, I agree with you. I, Evans is my first choice. Probably Wes Morgan's my second choice. Uh, and Soyuncu, again, he's, he's shown what he can do, um, but would be third choice for this particular game in this particular scenario. Yeah, I think you have to look at the opposition as well. Wes Morgan, it doesn't actually really suit Probably Aston Villa, if you were playing against a Burnley, for example, it would be more to his liking. Even a team like, say, Brighton, who are maybe not as uh, incisive and as quick as, say, Aston Villa are up top with Barkley, Grealish and Ollie Watkins. But I, w- I would still go for him over, say, a, a 70% fit Soyuncu, who even though you, you know he would get on the field of play and, and run through a brick wall. So at the moment, the answer really is I'm fine with it because we don't know the extent. Now, Brendan could throw uh, a proper spanner in the works tomorrow and just turn around and say, yeah, we've only got one fit centre-half and he's a 19-year-old player who's never played in the Premier League. But again, we'll wait and see what what Brendan has to say. Uh, the other question, and the big question really, would be further forward, whether Dennis Pratt or James Madison can play in midfield because the lack of midfield creativity against West Ham wasn't the overall downfall of the performance and the eventual result but it was a huge factor I believe and who is Brendan Rodgers going to go for now first of all it determines on whether he's going to play three at the back or he's going to play with a back four I would like to see him go to a back four the two in midfield Tielemans and Mendy and then the three behind Vardy one of them is going to be Harvey Barnes one of them is going to be uh, Dennis Pratt or James Madison and you would imagine the other one would be Iosi Perez or Cengiz Under. Now I think you've got another option possibly in there you could play Pratt and Madison but I think if one plays I think if Pratt is selected he will play Iosi Perez and I think if Madison is selected he's possibly going to throw Cengiz Under into the side. I think Madison's greater awareness and passing ability to be able to slide balls in to the quick forwards like Under, for example, uh, would play to his strengths when I think the industry of a run from Dennis Pratt beyond the forward line uh, would then be able to pull the ball back and create chances to be finished off by an Iosi Perez. That's 
how I see it in my head. But that all determines on the fact that he plays a back four rather than a three, and then everything gets thrown out the window. Uh, so that's what I think is going to happen. Who he's going to play, again, it depends on who is actually fully fit and able to play. More than likely, I would say it would be Dennis Pratt, purely because he went away with Belgium and, yes, didn't really play, but you'd think would be maybe ahead of a guy who didn't start for Leicester last time, wasn't on the bench. And I know he's had a break over the international period, but in terms of starting, Pratt would still have the fitness edge, certainly on on Madison. So if I'm going to go with Pratt, then I'm going to choose Iosi Perez, just because I think that they would complement each other better. A lot of ifs and buts, aren't there? Because Dennis Pratt, Dennis Pratt reappeared on the on the Belgian bench for their game last night as well. So that would indicate they wouldn't bother putting his name on the team sheet if he wasn't potentially available to come on and play some kind of part in that game. So that's something else that might point towards him being back towards um, full fitness and and availability. Uh, and I think on merit he deserves it. Yes, Madison scored that absolute wonder goal. Uh, against Manchester City but by and large Dennis Pratt has given the the manager a, a big headache in the sense that he's played so well and you know when when we lined up with three in midfield and Mendy Pratt and, and Tielemans most of us would have thought Tielemans would be playing furthest forward uh, Mendy would be holding and Pratt would be doing pretty much everything else um, but it actually figured that Pratt was able to use those driving runs beyond the defence, as you said, to to really make an impact in the final third. And he was invariably, he was the, the furthest forward of the three midfielders. And I think if he continues to show that, well, he scored a goal, didn't he? He's um, been involved in goals as well. If he continues to show that in the final third, then he keeps Madison out of the team for me because Pratt gives you a lot more with the rest of his all-round game in in his physicality, in his work rate. I'm not saying Madison doesn't work hard, but but Pratt is able to cover more ground and he's and he's more physically capable of of competing at high intensities for long periods of time from what we've seen. So I, I agree with you. It'd be it'd be nice for Dennis Pratt and it'd be a good nod to him to say, you know what, you start again because you've had a cracking start to the season. And we did miss we did miss his industry, didn't we, against West Ham? Yeah, and also they they could really dovetail each other perfectly because Pratt could start and play an hour, and then Madison can come on and play the remaining half an hour. In terms of where we think they are fitness wise, that actually works really well. Uh, as you mentioned, Pratt on the bench, so he's going to be pretty much fully fit to play. He starts. You look, you've got an hour, and then the intention is to take you off and bring Madison on to give him a half an hour of game time. So it could actually just work perfectly, really, for Leicester. Um, there is one thing, actually. with You mentioned the England game, and it sparked something that I, I was thinking about this morning, actually, at the uh, very early hours driving down to the studios to work. And um, it was regarding England last night and their formation and how turgid it was just through the personnel selected. And... But actually, the formation that they play, I think, is ideal for Leicester and probably what Brendan Rodgers 
wants eventually to play. They had the three at the back, and then you have... It's a 3-4-3, essentially. And the problem with England is that they had essentially seven players who were defensive roles. You've got the back three, you've got the four in midfield, which are the midfield two... Um, which Calvin Phillips and uh, Declan Rice, two defensive midfielders, the two out wide, which were attacking fullbacks, uh, was it James on one side and on the other side, um, trying to think who it was, but a, a, a defensive. Ma- Maitland Niles from Arsenal. Ma- Maitland Niles. So seven of the outfield 10 are basically defensive players. Now at Leicester, if you apply that formation, a back three, four in midfield, the two out wide, Castagna one side, just in the other side, you would bring in, obviously, Ricardo for that. The midfield two would remain the same. And then the forward three would more than likely become a 1-2. So you have a Madison, Pratt, and then the two uh, would be Vardy and Barnes. Those three could really interchange. I think that's generally what Brendan Rodgers wants to play. So the England formation, but not as defensive as England have it. It was just a a terrible selection, I thought, from Southgate and possibly his worst selections to date, which might have an effect on Leicester's game this weekend with with Grealish, for example. But, yeah, just just to highlight that point again, I I think they could dovetail each other very well, Pratt, and and also Madison this game. We will see. It's gonna it's gonna be an interesting one because Villa have started very well. They've started the season well. They've um, won all three of the Premier League games. Obviously, the big um, the big result against uh, Liverpool, the the shocker of a seven two win, um, and the only loss they've had has been in the League Cup to to Stoke. But you know, changes galore and 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 all that. Um, but you know, they've they've not had the most difficult start to the season. Sheffield United have not started particularly well at all and, and, and Villa had them um, first game of the Prem um, and they've beaten Fulham as well. I think what is interesting is the fact that they've not really looked like they were conceding goals against those kind of teams, whereas Villa defensively, especially before the restart, were woeful, really, really bad. Um, but they seem to have um, secured things up there. Martinelli's a decent addition to their as their number one goalkeeper they've spent a fair amount of cash in the in the transfer window and they've properly hit the ground running um and they've got an informed Grealish as you say Watkins getting those goals um so early will have helped him settle into the Premier League they are for me a very very different almost completely different proposition to the Villa that we played last season so it's going to be interesting for for Leicester to see the reaction to the the sort of limp defeat against West Ham, and you're right about Grealish as well, Pete, because he's yes he he had some game time for England and he I think he got the official man of the match didn't he in in, in one of the games, but didn't feature when in a game that was crying out for creativity last night against Denmark. He'll want to put his boots on as quickly as he can get back in that Villa shirt and show Gareth Southgate exactly what England were missing. And and I think we have to be very wary of him. The other problem, I think, with Grealish is who picks him up because you've got no idea where he's actually going to be on the pitch. He's one of those rare players that is essentially given a free role because, you know, in the in the championship, for example, where everybody plays 4-4-2, you'd probably accord him a winger. Um you know he's he's popped up in number in the number ten role. If he gets a bit bored and comes looking for the ball, you can find him in the centre circle. You know he's very he's very good at drifting in and out of um, areas. Um, and 
he's proven at the start of this season that he can actually do some damage from those areas. So it's something that we'll have to bear in mind. Now, I don't like looking at the opposition in too much detail and saying, right, we've got to stop this, got to stop that, got to stop this. Because on our game and on our day, we are, I would say, better than Aston Villa. But you've still got to be mindful of the fact that they do have those potential threats and they've got to be catered for whilst at the same time I think we need to be a lot more ambitious and we need to force the issue a lot more than we did against West Ham I think Villa have been nothing short of excellent this year I think you start from the goalkeeper Martinez who should really be the Arsenal goalkeeper he did nothing wrong he solidified their defence when he came in and he's done exactly that at Villa it's amazing Clubs go out and buy, look at Manchester United, oh my God. They've got a defence which is, let's just put it bluntly really, it's absolutely all over the place, a complete mess. It starts with the goalkeeper and they've got a fantastic goalkeeper on the bench, indeed Henderson, give him the role and I'm pretty sure it will settle down all of the nerves in front, saying that what happened to Mr Maguire with England the other day, maybe not, but... It looks like that's happened at Aston Villa. And they've got a, a, a really top-class keeper, I think. Really good goalkeeper. And as you go forward in that side, they are, and I think, they are a very, very good side who look extremely dangerous going forward. The signing of Barkley is, is a brilliant loan signing because, first of all, he's going to play every single game. And he is that player who has had a great record against Leicester in the past. But also with the the inability really of defenders to pick up Grealish because he just roams around everywhere, you've got now a genuine attacking midfielder and a centre-forward who can not only pick up those three balls by Jack Grealish, but also give defenders enough of a headache to for them to concentrate, for then Jack to do his stuff and weave in and out of players. If they didn't have that, if they had a, a tall forward man, then they could easily look after him because his movement's not going to be very good. You look at the movement of Ollie Watkins and Ross Barkley. That's, in terms of movement off the ball, it's a very, very quick and agile two with Dendrak Grealish roaming around. It, it looks fantastic on paper. And in the one game they've played, they've gone and scored seven against Liverpool. I'm not going to say they're going to score seven every game, but... I think they are a really good side and it starts with the goalkeeper. What they were doing with Pepe Reina in goal last year, God knows. But I think it's got goals written all over it. I think they are saying all that and, and I'll come on to Grealish in, in particular later, but I think they are, and this I don't know whether it's a word or not, but I'm going to use it, gettable or get-attable. They are get-attable because apart from the goalkeeper being excellent, I think they are very attacking. They've got one defensive midfielder uh, Louise, who's now had a um, a cap for Brazil, of all sides. But apart from that, they do like to go on and they do like to leave gaps. And that Villa game against uh, Liverpool, and I know it's against Liverpool, but they had chances going forward. I think there's a, a real gap between their midfield and defence. Their defence looks fairly ponderous as well. Uh, we know Mings is a decent centre-off. I don't think anything else than just decent. But um, I think they are get-attable. 
uh, on the ground, the way Leicester like to play. I don't think you're going to win anything in the air. The goalkeeper's very tall, very good in crosses. So anything anything at all, he will come for up until the penalty spot. You've got Mings, etc. The other guy uh, who's had a good start to the season as well. Uh, uh, again, very, very tall. So it's going to be pace. Maybe Undare could get the nod. And I could just see it being a, a bit of a barnstormer, really, because they're flying. And just to mention Jack Grealish... A guy who's been ridiculed by by fans of clubs like Leicester and, to be perfectly honest, deservedly so, by me because he was meant to be this big thing, but no one saw it, mainly because he was injured at times, carrying a poor team and playing in a role last season where he wasn't... Uh, he he was given a certain duty. I kept on saying he, he he was going down so easy to win free kicks, to relieve pressure, and also for them to have set pieces into the box because they were a struggling side. The big test for Jack was once he's in a good side, i.e. moving away from Villa or Villa improving around him, which they have, how would then he react? Well, he's reacted fantastically. He looks quick, which he's never done in his career, I think. He glides across the pitch. He's that kind of quick, how Mares glides across the pitch. Harvey Barnes, in a way, does it. And I, I think he's exceptional. I think he's a, a brilliant footballer who's having a brilliant season. How he didn't come on for England in the other game, I have absolutely no idea. You're a man of the match against Wales. I can understand why you don't play against Belgium. There's three games. You're playing two. Come on. He doesn't even come off the bench. What That was... Board. Well, it, it, we know that obviously Gareth Southgate doesn't like him. Fine, but you got to play him. It's you got to play him, surely from the start. But why he didn't come on after an hour? No idea. Absolutely no idea. So I think overall it's going to be a very difficult game. I can see both sides scoring. Uh, Schmeichel, what a brilliant save by the way against England. Fantastic save, wasn't it, from Mason Mount the header? And I tell you what, Rob. I'll be surprised and I'll be delighted if Leicester actually get a win. I can see it being a very difficult game. Very difficult. I can see it being a draw, maybe 1-1, 2-2 even probably would be my pick for a result. And I'm not being negative, but I just think Villa, the way they play could really hurt Leicester. In the same time, I think Leicester, the way they play going forward, could really hurt Villa. So... I'm going to go for a draw. I'm going to go for 2-2. And that's quite rare to say Leicester are going to draw at home against anyone but, say, Liverpool or Man City. Normally it would be a, a Leicester win, but no, that's what I'm going to go for. I was just about to say Sunday night, goal fest, 2-2. Um, are we allowed the same prediction? You, you on, can, have yeah, a, you can bit, uh, pick a Desmond. Let's have a podcast prediction of 2-2. Um, I, ju- I I hope Grealish is rubbish on Sunday. Let's be perfectly honest, because I think the rest of the players mostly we should be able to deal with. Oh, imagine the handshake between Madison and and uh, Grealish at the end of the game. Chilwell, if he was there, he would have been. Uh, oh dear, it would have been all sorts, wouldn't it? But um, you know, showing off matching tattoos and all sorts because they're all part of this. They all do that same celebration, the A and all that. And fine, they're all a big group of mates, whatever. I don't like to see it on the pitch. I don't think there's anything wrong with it, first of all. You know, you can compete with whoever you want to be. But I think as soon as the final whistle goes, yeah, you can go and shake hands with the opposition, fine. 
I don't think standing there laughing and shaking hands and and um and and, and doing high fives and and the, and the handshakes that you you know you do with your teammates. Don't do that with an opposition player in front of the cameras. Wait until you're in the changing rooms. Go and visit him in the changing room afterwards and do it. Just have a little bit of. It's not respect for the shirt. That's what people who would get really annoyed would say. But just be a bit aware. Do you know what I mean? Be a bit aware about things. Yeah, and I think one last point on it. Madison, surely, if Grealish is his mate, and, you know, they're they're very similar in, in the kind of role that they could play for England. And they've I think they're very similar in the sense that, you know, Grealish has probably moved ahead of, of Madison, such as the start that he's had for the season, and Madison, you know, being in and out through injury for the last four, five months, six months probably. Um Grealish has probably moved just ahead of him in the pecking order. So Madison's the kind of player that, yeah, he'll be mates with Grealish, but he'll want some bragging rights and he'll want to say, look, I'm I'm here too. Uh, I'm also a uh, a number 10, technically able, floppy-haired, fashionable young footballer who who can make my mark. Um, and I think they've got a, lot, a, they've got a fair few similarities, the two of them. So Madison, for his own personal bragging rights but also his own personal gain will want to be on the field of play and will want to be affecting things more for Leicester than Grealish can for Villa yep and it's on a uh, what time's kick off and where can I watch it Rob it's <laughs> don't here we go you're just queuing yourself up for the rant here it's uh, Sunday evening 7.15 on Sky Sports da, 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 box office box office wonder how much you, you have to pay for that kind of thing oh here we go Go on, Em. Do you, do you know? It's about fourteen ninety-five. Let's call it fifteen quid amongst friends. Let yeah, let's just round it up to fifteen pounds per match. Now, do you think that they just decided to do this, or do you think they had a vote of all of the football clubs in the Premier League to 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 make the decision as to whether fifteen pounds per match was reasonable for as a going rate for the punters to watch football? I tell you what, Rob. If Project Big Picture went through, then it would be um, it, it would have gone through no problem at all because they would have only needed the six of the nine elite clubs to have voted. But the way it is at the moment, they need more than two thirds, so they need what fourteen out of the twenty to vote, and and they did. Nineteen of them did. One club didn't. One club said we don't agree with this, and we're going to vote accordingly uh, and that was Leicester but there was another club who very very well totally um disgracefully could be one word um and true to form Manchester United tried tried to bluff their fans and the and the football public by saying that they don't agree with it and then voted for it anyway i mean that's pure politics talk that is that's that's your politician coming out saying one thing oh yeah and then two hours later going in and voting actually completely against what he said that's what Manchester United tried to do they tell their fans that they're not happy and it's not right and they all were up in arms going look at our club fantastic you know they don't want and then they went and voted for it the dirty whatevers um but Leicester voted uh they said no and and and, and good for them as well because it could have easily been the case that they knew it was going to happen anyway, and it's happening. What Leicester do with the money is going to be interesting, Rob. 
what's do they increase their gift to hospitals though they put it to one side and give it to grassroots football or do they just keep it and go do you know what we didn't want it but if it's being given to us then there we go we'll, we'll, we'll take it and we'll spend it on a, a new winger so that won't we won't know until the end of the season but that's an interesting thing to think of it is but I think you know Le- Leicester's owners will have known you know they would have got the feel feelers out. They would have they would have known even if the vote was in secret and at the same time or whatever. They will have known what the general consensus was. Um, so you you kind of hope that they'd already decided to to reject it before they started to think about the politics behind it. But even if they didn't, still to have the um, the front to make their vote. Um, in support of the fans and say no, we don't want this is is commendable, and it was nice for us to be able to say as Leicester fans, yes, our club uh, was the, were the ones that kind of stood out against this, and I think because of that stance and because of how well publicised it was, not just around Leicester supporters, but you know nationally uh, and probably internationally as well, I think they'll have to do something with at least some of the money. Um, they might well, you know, donate 50% of it to charity or they might reinvest it in some discounts for season ticket holders or supporters, you know, give it straight back to the people whose pockets it's coming out of or maybe a bit of bit of both, you know. But I think there will be some kind of positive um, use for the fund because that that was another interesting point of the of the pay-per-view, that the, that the money goes directly to the football clubs and that the... The broadcasters, I mean, they're getting plenty of cash out of it already, but the broadcasters don't get any money out of it, as far as I understand. It all goes to the club. That's that's correct. It's it. First of all, it reeks of Leicester's saying no to this. It reeks of King Power and Top and V-Shive, and you know, in, in theory, it reeks of them going, no, that's wrong, and it's not right. So we're going to be against it. That's what it reeks of. It reeks of top. What do you reckon? And he goes, no, we won't do that. That's for me. I could eat straight away. Um, also, the the broadcasters will get money through advertising, etc., and and they'll obviously make a few quid, not through the direct fee alone, but overall, of course, they're they're always going to be fine. Um, and here it is, Rob. I think it's the biggest money grabbing exercise in modern football. I think it's. A complete disgrace. I think the £15 fee is extortionate. I think it's the most tin-eared thing I've ever heard. And I've heard a lot of tin-eared nonsense in the last, say, six to nine months about all sorts of aspects of life. But for Premier League clubs to charge £15 to watch a game of football at this time per household is a complete mess. It's crass beyond belief. And there's no effort to include struggling football league clubs. There's no effort to involve charity donations, whether it's the NHS charities, whether it's Marcus Rashford's charity, which could have been an ideal, you know, a quid or two quid goes to that, or whatever charity involved, or to grassroots football. No, 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 straight fee, bosh, to the football clubs. And it completely stinks. And I'm sitting here, Rob, in a position where, an unfortunate position, that I can actually afford the £15. I am never in a million years going to pay £15 
to watch a pay-per-view game of football because this is all along with the project big picture it's all an idea to to get more and more money eventually for the big clubs and it absolutely stinks now i can pay that i can pay 15 pound for the game on sunday i'm in that fortunate position uh, to do so and also i know a few friends who actually think hey, this is fine i can watch my club I've got a friend who's a, a huge brighton fan for him he goes brilliant when brighton are on i can then pay 15 quid i can afford it and i can pay it and i can watch it why is it 15 pounds who came up with 15 pounds £7.50, £2.50 goes to charity, £2.50 goes to EFL club fees so they don't have to go out of business. Or how about four ninety nine? Pay a fiver for the game, great. This is going to encourage people going around different people's houses to watch games like you do when you pay and watch the boxing. Come round, everyone chip a few quid in to pay, per, pay for the pay-per-view. It's a right mess and whoever thought of 15 quid needs their head looking at because it's... At this time, when people are losing jobs left, right and centre, and everyone's tightening the purse strings more than ever before that I've been on the earth for, and in advancing years, it, it's it's a complete mess. And I cannot believe that it's going to last. I, I'm amazed it's still alive. I'm amazed it's still going. How it hasn't been reduced to a fiver or seven quid. It's... It's unbelievable. I don't understand it at all. 15 quid. The next two or two of the next three games for Leicester, the game away at Arsenal is going to be on pay-per-view. So in October, we're paying 30 quid for the two games. Again, people will say, how much do you pay for the tickets to go to the games? Doesn't matter. It That's not the argument because guess what? You're not going to the ground. It's a different argument. That, that doesn't you know, hold water with me, but there we go. Yeah, I've not got an awful lot more to say than <laughs> than what you've just said. I was, you know what? Ever since you texted me the other day and said PPV rant incoming, I thought, yeah, this is good. This is going to be good, and I've enjoyed it. You've used some strong language there, and I I appreciate that because you know we are here to voice our opinions and and try and sort of um, voice the opinions of of many other football fans across Leicester and across the country. It's it's just ridiculous. I mean. Something that that you could compare it to would be, let's say, um, you don't fork out the the monthly fee for something like Sky Sports or BT Sport, like I don't, but um, you occasionally have a a weekend day where you want to sit and watch some football, and you know that there's a few good games on, or if one of them's the Leicester game, you know you can get a Now TV day pass for like nine ninety nine. Okay, so let's say you get that on a Saturday for Sky Sports when there are, what, three games broadcast on Sky Sports that day? Yeah, three games for a tenner. It's £3.33p each. How they can now go and stick and say, right, okay, so so so-and-so's on on BT Sport, which a lot of people can access or, you know, go to the pub as long as they're with somebody from their own household and watch... The other team, this this game's on Sky Sports, fine. A lot of people can access Sky Sports one way or the other. Oh, yeah, but your game, your game's going to cost you 15 quid to watch. It's just, like, like you said, I don't know where they've got the figure from, uh, where any, anybody at any point think that, thinks that that is a reasonable amount. And and those that are arguing, yeah, you pay 30 quid minimum for a ticket to a football match, yeah, it's totally different. That's, it's, that is the 
you don't just pay that money solely for the purpose of watching the football match. You pay it for the social side of it, the atmosphere, the the match day experience. There are so many more elements involved in your match ticket than than just the football match. Yeah, that's at the crux of it, but the, there's a lot more involved. Whereas this would be 15 quid disappears out of your bank account and you sit and watch a 90-minute game of football on the telly, which a lot of supporters of other clubs at the time, and I know it's going to affect everybody at some point, but you know, like you say, for this month, it's going to cost Leicester fans if they want to watch it legally, 30 quid. It's, it's an, an extortionate amount of money. If I just flick through the next few games, Villa, pay-per-view, um, the game in the Champions League, Zoya uh, Lahansk will be on BT, I believe, and then the Arsenal game will be pay-per-view, then we're away in Athens, BT, then it's the Amazon Prime weekend of games, I believe, uh, so you've got Amazon Prime, uh, then BT, then Sky Sports. Well... This is this is where it becomes farcical. So you've got to have a Sky Sports subscription, BT subscription, you've got to have a Amazon Prime subscription and then pay uh, £15 again. It, it's just completely too much. And your now TV pass, day pass argument, absolutely bang on right. Yes, you watch your game, but you can watch other games. It's the it's the amount of money. And again, I, I know friends and and family who said oh yeah i'll pay the money it's it, it's fine yeah and that's great okay i again i can pay it you know most people listening to this podcast I imagine will be able to but a there's a lot of people who, who can't and there's a lot of people who probably end up will be paying this and probably can't afford to do that and it's just the amount it's completely wrong if they want to do it for a fiver fine you know a five as a fiver go ahead but I just can't understand how they've not incorporated some kind of charity element to this. What a what a perfect time to do it. An easy way to do it. But no, not at all. Because again, that's not the overall aim. And just like Project Big Picture, the overall aim isn't to help the lower league clubs. Isn't to put different infrastructure in place to help lower league clubs and also to be fairer. That's not the idea. That's to sugarcoat the power grab and ultimately the money grab by the big clubs. This pay-per-view is exactly the same. They could have had any opportunity to make it less money, to incorporate some charity elements, to incorporate some EFL help elements. But no, they've just gone, bosh, 15 quid, all to us. See you later. It's It, it stinks. And, and and there you go. That's 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 what I reckon. Um, but there we go and, and I won't watch it and I tell you and I said that now and I generally won't A I won't go around people's houses who will have it because obviously with what's going on you can't really do that and uh, and no you know just morally I ain't gonna do it and if other people do it absolutely fine you know you don't feel like you know you have to or feel like you have to tell people that you are it's just if you're watching it great but I wouldn't personally do it but also if i did i wouldn't maybe advertise that i am just because just remember out there there are people who maybe don't want to do it because they can't afford it but if they see everyone else doing it and they feel almost kind of peer pressured into it almost by seeing people post it do remember that sort of thing does go on out there so and at this time you know you've got to be careful haven't you 
Um, I, I, I never thought of that until now, just saying that. That's not something I've ever thought of before, but it's it will be happening, won't it? And it will probably increase. There'll be people out there who are not watching Leicester Villa or the Merseyside Dart or whatever. And then when their mates find out that they didn't, they might then be pressurised into watching another game. And that's, that's what you don't want. You don't want someone all of a sudden, like you see kids with phones on games running up a massive bill. What you don't want is someone who can't afford, who's all of a sudden in an area of the country that's been put on a, a kind of a lockdown or whatever tier three is, then they're stuck at home and all of a sudden they've just spent the best part of 150 quid on the next load of games over the course of a week. That thing can happen. That could easily happen. And I don't think that's been thought of by Premier League clubs at all. And I wouldn't be surprised if in the next fortnight or so, some stories are in the papers or whatever regarding that and someone going, you know, it was there and I've accidentally done it. Now, a lot of people might say more for them, but, you know, these things will happen. Of course they will, and, and I think it's an it's a nice way to finish. Really, is that that you can support your football club, or you can be a football fan in any way, shape, or form that you like. If you are the f- supporter that doesn't miss a single minute of a single game, good for you. If you're the supporter that is busy working loads of weekends to keep. Uh, things ticking over in your house and you don't get to go to games very often or get to watch them as is the case at the moment Uh, but you still keep up to date with the latest news you watch the highlights good for you if you're the kind of supporter who kind of likes football is from Leicester and kind of likes the club occasionally has a browse of what they're up to but doesn't watch many of the games good for you you know you can be a football supporter in whichever way shape or form that you like and I'm sure there are those kind of supporters, all different types, listening to this podcast right now. Um, and you just go and follow Leicester City exactly how you like. We had a question from, um, uh, there's an Italian football, uh, Italian Leicester City blog starting up. Um, and one of the questions that they asked us was, do you mind um, supporters from other countries uh, supporting Leicester? Absolutely not. If you've watched us from abroad and you like the look of how we play or you like the spirit of our supporters, great. Come along. Support us however you wish, from afar, from near, wherever. So please, if you're listening, don't feel pressured into paying that £15. But if you can and you want to, absolutely fine too. There's no judgment or anything on, on, on anybody. You support Leicester however you like. (laughs) 